0: Welcome to the Joy-Powered Workspace podcast, where we talk about embracing joy in the workplace. I'm Susan White, owner of Susan Tinder White Consulting. With me is my dear friend and co-host, Jody Curtis, owner of Purple Inc., an HR consulting firm. Today, our topic is diversity recruiting. Jody, I'm very excited about this topic today because as I work with companies, as we talk about their talent acquisition strategies, every single one of them says to me, Susan, I, we really want to get better at diversity recruiting. Mm-hmm. And then I have to peel that back and say, like, what do you mean? Usually I hear things like, our workforce is really aging. We've got a lot of people talking about, they're contemplating retirement. They really want to start attracting people of different generation. I hear that quite a bit. I also hear from companies, they're saying, you know, we have a board that is primarily all white males, our executive team is primarily all white. We really want to reflect the communities we serve. We wanna reflect our total population of employees better. Help us as we think about our talent acquisition and and really our succession planning, how do we become more diverse? So I think this topic is one that was gonna resonate with a lot of our business leader listeners as well as our HR professionals. Yeah.
1: Well, and I love the way the, as you mentioned, some of the companies talking to you were saying, help us be better at it. I hear a lot of companies saying, we need to do it, but we don't know how, or we've tried this and we've tried that and it didn't work. So we're not you know, it's not going to happen for us. I even talked to a president of a very large company just in the past couple of weeks who said, I think diversity is important, but I feel like we're we're doing a good job of it because we do a lot of governmental projects that require us to have minority subcontractors. So we're doing that a lot more than people think. And I thought, but as our conversation went on, I said, well, I think that's important. I think that's great. You have minority contractors, but do you have people within your own organization? I think he he felt like he could check the box on that one. Like, oh, we've got minority subcontractors, we're good. We're moving on with, with regular business day to day. So. Yeah, so important to think about the innovation, the different ideas, the different cultures that we can bring together. The The real a definition of diversity recruiting is the practice of hiring candidates using a process that is free from bias for or against any individual or group of candidates. And we have to be intentional about doing that, about seeking out people who are diverse, whether that's uh, male or female or ethnicity or age or where they went to college, right? Or did, did they all grow up in rural communities or big cities? I mean, there's so many different factors we can look at to measure
0: I agree. And then, and study after study proves that the more diverse thinking and diverse people you have around the table, the more productive the company is, the higher the earnings. So I think that we don't have to sell it as a business case anymore. I think now we've got to help businesses figure out how to do it. Have you ever had any manager say to you, I just don't think that the talent pool is out there of what I need. I don't, I don't think that there are fill in the blank engineers who have this specialty and blah, blah, blah. Whenever I hear that, I just shake my head. It says, we're not looking hard enough. Or maybe we need to take internal talent who is diverse and invest in getting them the skills they need so that we can break through that glass ceiling to help that individual and make us a better company.
1: Right. I love that approach of taking internal talent to do it. But also maybe we need to be looking somewhere else to find people. So, well, I'm super excited about our show today because I think we've got very fascinating guests who bring a lot of even personal stories and examples and methodologies, software platforms on how we can be better at this diversity recruiting.
0: I think that's going to be great tools for all of us. So let's get started. All right now a word from our sponsors. This podcast is sponsored by Susan Tender White Consulting, a progressive human resource practice that helps businesses resolve people challenges through consulting, coaching, and training. Whether the opportunity is in a corporation, a not-for-profit, or a government agency, HR solutions are tailored to optimize individuals' and organizations' strengths.
1: You can reach Susan via email at susantenderwhite at gmail.com. That's Susan, T-I-N-D-E-R-W-H-I-T-E at gmail.com or by phone at 317-332-8017 or via the company website, SusanTenderWhiteConsulting.com. We look forward to hearing from you.
0: Our first guest today is Jerome Turnick. Jerome is a recognized leader in the recruiting technology industry, with three successful exits over 30 years of building global businesses and award-winning software. He argues that the ability to hire exceptional talent is the true sustainable differentiator for any business to compete, especially when nearly 80% of CEOs see hiring for key skills as their major threat. Jerome currently serves as founder and CEO of Silicon Valley-based Smart Recruiters, a global talent acquisition suite rated as the most strategic provider by industry analysts. He dedicates personal time to connecting people with jobs as well, having started the reverse recruiting movement and volunteering with entrepreneurs and training programs of state prisons. Jerome, we are so excited that you're with us today. And particularly, we understand that you've recently released 10 Principles of Diversity Recruiting. We know our listeners are hungry trying to figure out how do you become an employer that really does a good job at bringing in diversity. Would you be willing to share with us your 10 principles, and we'd love to hear any of your insights.
2: Yeah, of course. Thank you for having me. And you're right. I, I think that diversity recruiting, like many topics, is full of good intentions. Like people want to make a difference, uh, but they don't really know where know where to start right and Mm so at smart recruiters we're a talent acquisition suite so we power recruiting for hundreds actually thousands of organizations big one visa linkedin twitter Bosch, and so on and i talked to all our customers who are the global heads of recruiting i said so what are you guys doing and they always have some anecdotal project oh we're sponsoring this university we partnered with this association but they never really had a consistent answer to say okay, in an ideal world, what does great diversity hiring looks like? And that's why we teamed up with all our customers to try and define a market standard to say, okay, these are the 10 things that you can do as a a head of recruiting, as as an executive in an organization to drive uh, more diverse hiring. And so I'm happy to share, uh, share those with you if that makes sense.
1: Yes, please do.
2: So we started with the very basic is you need a diverse hiring team. So underrepresented groups need to be properly represented within the hiring team, such that hiring decisions are not driven by a single person who replicates bias, but actually by a diverse team. And this is the hiring manager, the interviewers and the recruiters. Like, If the team that actually makes the decision is not diverse, you're never going to reach diversity. So start there and scrutinize who's on the hiring teams, who makes the hiring decision and influence that at the start, right? Second, make sure that the hiring team uh, is properly aware. And so uh, ensure that you could actually say nobody is allowed to interview or hire candidates unless they actually have gone through an awareness training, an, an anti-bias training, an anti-racist training, depending where, where you are and what you want to Third, if you want to achieve something, you need to have objectives. So, have clear representation objectives, and to the extent permitted by law, state those representation objectives for each job categories and measure your business against those objectives. Right? A white dude sales manager who has hired ten white males in a row should actually be fired. Like seriously, right? So you actually have to hold your account, your executive accountable for representation.
0: Joanne, I'm sorry. I just wanted to ask a quick question about that because this this past week, Wells Fargo made the news because I think, I'm trying to remember, was it the OFCCP who's challenging the fact that they've said that we're going to increase the minority representation, I think at their executive level, by a certain amount over the next year or whatever. And Wells Fargo came back and said, no, we don't feel like we're making decisions based on race because obviously you can't discriminate on the basis of race. I don't know if, if your group has looked at that or there's concern when you set objectives, you set certain targets, are you starting to make decisions based on race? You are,
2: you absolutely are. And, um, and I think that it comes to a simple question that I have actually asked to every single person I interviewed for this and I, it gets like close to a hundred. And I always close my interview or my questioning by this one question, is discrimination acceptable? in the name of diversity. And it's really interesting because you have half of the people are like, absolutely, yes, otherwise, how can you change the past, right? And the other is like, oh, oh no, 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 of course not. It's like, yeah, but yeah, yeah, if, if, you don't, if you don't bend history, you're not gonna change history. There's a big lawsuit that actually Google lost uh, because they, at some point, this is like five years ago, uh, mm-hmm. they sent an email to their recruiter and guys, we have enough white and Asian males in the pipe. Like don't invite any more to interviews because we really need to focus on having more women, more ethnic diversity, more this, more that. So, and then uh, one of the recruiters sued them actually for discrimination, rightly so, because it is discrimination. But then if you don't do it, then you just, you know, if, if the Stanford engineering output is a 98% of uh, Uh, white males, then you are going to hire 98% of the white males unless you do something against it. So I actually think that you can do much. What you cannot do is change the demographics. What you can do, and this is in the principle, is you can overinvest in uh, sourcing channels that provide underrepresented groups right? Yeah. And you can basically, as an organization, by being yourself inclusive, diverse, and and committed to diversity, you end up getting an unfair share of the diverse talent. And well, your competitors can remake white males, dominated, whatever, they'll die over time, but you're getting the best talent, you're getting the benefit of being diverse. So I think there's a way to do it, that you basically quote unquote, discriminate at the sourcing level because you put your money to find diverse talent, which in a way is discrimination. If you are going to sponsor a a predominantly black college and not sponsor Stanford anyway, you are discriminating, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. your assumption is you're gonna get more black. So we have to, whether it's about black or it's about women or it's about any form of diversity, we have to be clear that, yes, you need to bend history a bit. Now, what you cannot do, I think, is like face two candidates and say, okay, yeah, I would love to hire you, uh, but unfortunately, you're a white male. Uh, yeah, although, 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 this actually happens in other areas that are not recruiting related. And we could talk about this, but uh, if you hire a board member, for example, as part of our plan to become an anti-racist force in the recruiting market, which I, we published a few months ago, I stated, I will hire a black woman to the board. If you are a white male, don't apply. You're not getting hired, right? So that's discrimination. Okay. Is it? Or do I, am I just looking for a presentation? Uh, we recently had one of our big customers, when we signed our renewal, they inserted a new clause in the contract. And this is a Fortune 50 company. We're like, what is this clause? And this clause says by doing business with us, smart recruiters commits that fifteen percent of its suppliers will be from diverse or black owned businesses. I mean, that's discrimination because I called my advertising agency and I told them, sorry, you're white. <laughs>
0: We're yeah. gonna
2: have to switch, right? But unfortunately, this is how you bend history, right?
0: You're the state of California. And it wasn't your governor just recently said that, I think by the end of 2021, for boards, isn't it that they have to have a certain percentage that is from a, I think, either a, a minority group or maybe it's female. I'm not sure which. Wasn't there something recently that, that he's mandating it at the state level?
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I think the, the I'm hoping that businesses can react faster than the legislator. Like if this all becomes law, frankly, this, this is hell. This doesn't induce proper behaviors. It's going to force behaviors. It's going to just make the topic more exacerbated. Uh, I don't think that we need too many regulations on this yeah. front.
0: I agree with what your philosophy and your thinking. I think the only thing, if I was a listener, I'd be a little nervous about setting target numbers. Certainly, if you're an affirmative action employer, you can set goals, you can work to get them. But I, I love your idea about the top of the funnel, over-investing in areas so that you have a plethora of diverse candidates makes all the sense in the world to me. Yeah. It really that. does. Yeah.
1: Well, and I think we hear so many times from people who say, well, I'm trying to be more diverse, but I'm not finding people. I'm not finding people that meet my qualifications. And so I also love that concept of over investing in different sources yeah. and maybe re-looking at your qualifications. Do you have the right qualifications for the role or are you, yeah. in your example, keep hiring people from Stanford, right? Yeah. Like, Look
2: somewhere no. else. So yes, okay. yeah, and that comes uh, that comes also in the principles here. So after objectives, we have um, an inclusive hiring process. So making sure that uh, the hiring process provides reasonable accommodation and is based on equality, uh, right? So not everybody is treated equally, but uh, equ- equality here is important. And revisit your hiring process, for example. Uh, if you talk about neurodiversity, I think it was Microsoft had a beautiful program uh, running this past couple of years for people who are on the autism spectrum. Right. One thing that an autist cannot do is a job interview. Like this is the opposite of what an autistic can perform at, right? They can do a lot of things, but not a job interview. And so Microsoft just removed the need for job interviews. And they just actually hired people that were somewhere on the autism spectrum. They put them on projects. And for a 90-day period, they had these people working in teams and hiring managers would come and work with them. And the selection would happen without actually the person really realizing. And then at the end, they would get job offers, right? And they just got rid of job interviews. I see this is a beautiful example of an inclusive hiring process, right? And certainly very smart. Yeah, certainly very smart for Microsoft. who's getting amazing talent that they otherwise would would uh, not get access, right, uh, to the, the unemployment rate for people with who are neurodivergent is 85%, 85%, right? And their suicide rate is 5x the average, the national average. So there's oh. something to be said about this. Then we go to the neutral job description, Jody. This is the, the part that really uh, gets uh, interesting, is that job descriptions are like a long list of all the reasons why you shouldn't apply if you're not part <laughs> of the ma- majority, right? So uh, reduce your job your job requirements and focus the jobs and this comes then in interviewing focus the jobs on must achieves, not on must haves. Like we Ooh. we say, oh, I need to I need to achieve. What do I? I need this person to achieve something. Make great coffee. Be friendly with the customer. Show up on time and upsell the customer with a sandwich more than others. Barista at Starbucks, right? And then we translate this into four years of retail experience, a degree in this, uh, speaks Mandarin. And it's like, whoa, wait, what? Right? Um, so we actually, I think, should uh, should have more neutral job description and give people a chance to perform. And I think in in this world, we we actually would gain a lot to have in recruiting a lot less focus on requirements, a lot more focus on success. We had this beautiful example during COVID. We, of course, our, our office shut down in March, right? So our office manager in San Francisco, the office manager, receptionist, office manager, really nice person. She's out of the job. So we're like, okay, now what are we going to do with you? Shall we? Uh, uh, oh, look there is a position here for a mid-market account manager. You you have to start looking after a portfolio of 200 smaller customers and make them happy and make sure they renew their contract. Do you want to try that? And she goes, yeah, of course I want to try that. He went into that. The team rallied around her. They did daily stand-up to bring her up to speed. At the end of uh, the second quarter, she was our best performing account
0: manager. Oh, wow. Oh, she had fantastic.
2: never, ever done this before, right? And just positive attitude, well-supported. Turns out she's a good salesperson. She can interact with people. Now, do you think she would make my screening or my job requirements? She wouldn't even apply to the job. No. Right? And so I think we, we would discover untapped talent by yeah. relaxing a bit our requirements. So I'm, I'm, I'm very, uh, very interested in that.
0: Jerome, I'm Um, going to start using that must-achieve. I think that's a great way to to reframe a job description. And so
1: much better for the candidates, too, to understand what the expectations are for the position as opposed to just the job description itself. So I think it's a win-win on both sides.
2: It is, and I'll come back to that, actually, because as part of the process, it's also an important way to evaluate candidates. But before I do that, after job description, we get to the dedicated sourcing. So this is principle number six. And I think here this is very simple. If you want to drive diversity, and stop posting your jobs to where white males are hanging around and stop paying for referrals from white males referring their golf bodies, like seriously. Mm-hmm. Uh, and put your money where your mouse is and actually drive proper sourcing programs, invest in marketing and in, in sourcing. And you should just... like. If you say, okay, I'm going to put all my efforts in underrepresented groups, the majority is going to come organically anyway. And so you're going to come back with a pipeline of candidates that is naturally a lot more balanced and diverse. Then you've got to, once you have diverse candidates, you've got to make sure that you do not discriminate in screening. So the resume to interview, and this is a critical moment of the process, no bias, screening, can leverage technology for this An AI can read things and make recommendations that don't look at the name of the person. You can mask resume, but I think it, it's a bit like you're kicking the can down the road somehow. Uh, but that does help because at this point today, the, I think it was the BBC recently tested, Adam and Mohammed sent a hundred resumes to a hundred companies, the same resume, just the name is different. Adam got four times more interviews than Mohammed. Four times. Wow. So this is in full swing. Same resume, exactly. Sure. So just they just changed the name, send it to 100 companies, four times more interviews, right? And um, so, so there, you know, it's like, oh, we cannot find them. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <All> right. <laughs> no, right. And then when you dig, the recruiters usually aren't the problem. The recruiters, they got into recruiting because they love people, usually they love diversity. They just say, yeah. <sighs> I know if I submit Mohammed to this hiring manager, he's going to kill me, right? So actually you, you have to take control of that screening process and force, uh, force through an equal or an, a proper representation. Yeah. Uh, and then that takes me to interviewing and to structured interviewing. And this is probably, if you're going to do one thing on this list, this is the most important one. Because interviewing, this is where bias happens, right? It's like, we are biased as humans.
0: Right, we like, all bring we our own bias, filters. Right?
2: Mm-hmm. You have, of course, right? So we're, we're, if you go into an interview and we have a chit-chat, what am I evaluating? My chit-chat is evaluating whether I like you as a human being. Guess what? This is irrelevant for the job. Like, it really doesn't matter. It matters if you have the right values. It matters if you have the right personality for the job. It matters if you have the right capabilities, if you can achieve the job. It really doesn't matter if I like you or not. And most people evaluate, did I like this person? Mm-hmm. So you need to have structured interviews with a clear interview scorecard uh, that defines the must achieves, and you need to ask, force, not ask, force your interviewers to actually fill in this scorecard, and then you drive the, deci- the hiring decision based on documented evidence of a scorecard. If you do that, then you remove the discrimination instantly, right? And you avoid yourself, you avoid mistakes. Literally this morning, I avoided uh, a hiring mistake where we had this person that we were interviewing, and he saw three people, two guys, one woman. And uh, both of us, I was one of the two, both of us guys were like, yeah, no, perfect, exactly what we need. And the woman on the panel said, "Mm, it's kind of a bit talking at me rather than talking to me. I don't think he's the inclusive leader we need. Honestly. I mean, his skill set is okay, but I, mm, right? And we we're like, oh, because we really liked him, right? What do you do? Yeah, but already start by building an organization where a woman or anybody actually feels entitled, feels encouraged to speak up and say, I don't think so, right? Because yeah. this is the starting point. And they can only do this if you provide a proper structured structure to the to the scorecard otherwise this quickly gets behind closed doors and the person is going to retract and not give their opinion and what is an organization in which people cannot give their opinion it's an organization that's dying right it's it's not joy powered it's not joy powered absolutely not joy powered and people cannot express what they need what they want and next thing they don't express is the great idea that could have transformed your business right So that structured interviewing, uh, we made it, at Smart Recruiters, we made it very clear. So I don't start uh, hiring if there is not a clear interview scorecard with must-achieve criteria that I want to know exactly what this job is about. Second, I make sure that the hiring team on the job is representative of the groups I want to have. And third, I say, anyone can interview a candidate on behalf of Smart Recruiters. The only thing I ask is you fill in the scorecard. And if you fail to do it, it's okay. You just will not be asked to interview any, any more candidates on behalf of smart recruiters, period. Guess what? Everybody does it, right? Because they are, <laughs> they are happy to be asked to interview candidates, right? So
0: that, that works. We only have three more minutes with you, Jerome. So I'm so sorry, but we're not, we don't have your 10th yet.
2: Yeah, there's actually two more and it's inclusive inclusive onboarding. So making sure that people who don't belong initially absolutely belong during onboarding. And the last one is fair internal hiring. You need to stop promoting people based on, you know, we had a good golf game last week. Mm -hmm. Uh, Every internal position needs to go through a proper recruiting process. So your recruiting team, your talent acquisition team needs to own internal hiring because they are going to make it fair and competitive internally. Right. um so a fair internal hiring to ensure that promotions are not arbitrary.
0: I love these
2: 10.
1: I do too. Really great advice and I you know you said you thought structured interviewing was one of the more important ones and that just it makes it easier for everyone too, right? Most so many people are not comfortable with interviewing. So if you provide that structure to them, once again, win win for everyone.
3: So
2: I love that one. Yeah, Yeah, it's a big one. And... At the end, you obtain the holy grail of having a diverse organization and diverse organization perform better than non diverse organization. They have more ideas, they are more open-minded and they move faster and they are more creative and, and just outperform the competitions, right? So we're not doing this for charity. We're not doing this because we believe in a better world. Of course, we believe in a better world, but we are as business people we actually believe in winning and uh, killing our competition, which is exactly uh, what diverse organization achieve.
1: Yeah, and Jerome, if our listeners wanted to reach out to you and find out more about your platform, how can they do that?
2: So they can um, they can reach out to me on LinkedIn, uh, Jerome Turning, and I'm I'm there and I happily accept connections from HR professionals and and recruiting professionals. Um, you can learn more about Smart Recruiters at SmartRecruiters.com. And lots of information there if you're looking to upgrade your recruiting technology embrace some of those principles. And then if you actually want to learn more about hiring success, diversity hiring, and the overall methodology of how to transform recruiting, you can go to HiringSuccess.com, which is the website that reflects the hiring success methodology. And I wrote a book called Hiring Success that you can find on Amazon that has a lot of those principles actually in there.
1: Awesome. And we will have a link to... Uh, both Jerome's book and the link to the his 10 hiring principles that he just talked about as well, which were really fantastic. So thank you so much for joining us today.
0: I've learned a thank lot. Thank you for thank having you me. Too. Yeah, thank right. you. Now a word from our sponsors. The Joy-Powered
1: Workspace Podcast is sponsored by Purple Inc. Purple Inc.'s customized HR services will help you make your workspace joy-powered. Whether you're looking for help with recruiting, compliance, or leadership training, we listen to what you need and tailor our solutions to you. What we won't change? Our positive approach. Check out purpleinkllc.com. That's purpleinkllc.com to find out how we can help your business. Our second guest is Vern Howard. Vern is the CEO of Hallow, a diversity recruiting platform that helps connect college students across the country with leading companies like Apple and Google. Hallow was started when he realized in college that he lacked the correct network and informational resources to attain his goal of working for a top corporate brand. He also noticed he wasn't the only one. Halo has raised $1.9 million in funding from Kanan Partners, Tribe Capital, Kleiner Perkins, and many other leading VCs.
0: Welcome, Vern. We are so glad that you're here. Would you be willing to tell us a little bit about Halo, when you started it, and how the platform works?
4: For sure. I think that the biggest thing is, is right now in the space of HR, diversity is super important. And um, for me, my journey to starting Halo was much of my own story. Graduated at 16 and ultimately didn't know what I wanted to do after high school and uh, went to college in Virginia to study computer information systems, got a job working at Capital One, building out their mobile banking applications a- inside a desk. I was a hacker at Capital One as well. Wow. Um, now, Ver-
0: hey, I got to stop you for a minute, Vern. You graduated from high school at 16, right? Yeah, yeah I was super I young. am so impressed. No wonder they <laughs> needed you as a hacker. You're probably super crazy <laughs> smart.
4: Yeah, it was, it, was, it was a fun and interesting journey. And I think it's funny that you even say that that story was something that Capital One, when I originally started working there, they'd send me around to tell that story to students to kind of like recruit them into our organization. Because oh. we had like this thing where like you can do whatever you want. And I didn't go okay. to like a traditional like Ivy League school, which most of the new hires at Capital One did. And two things I just noticed was that one, students lacked access to information on like the how to, how to get a job at whatever company. And then they also lacked access on the network to act on that information. And I kind of set out on this mission that I was gonna build a platform that gives them access to both of those things so they could make better decisions in their career, regardless if they had money to go to a top tier school or not. And uh, 2017, I kind of started building out this just forum where students could ask questions to employers real time. And uh, we raised some money and it scaled and now we're in 1200 universities in the US. So Pretty exciting. Oh my gosh. Fantastic. (laughs)
1: Fantastic. Vern, do you think that most companies are quote, socially aware? And are do you really think they're doing the best they can in terms of diverse recruiting?
4: I think that they are doing the best that they can with the knowledge that they have, right? So what what's happening is I think we've looked at diversity and inclusion from a lens of being very transactional. Like I want 300 URMs and three. like it's very data driven on in a negative sense. But I think one thing that a lot of companies don't understand is like we have to figure out how to build diverse relationships and authentic relationships in these communities so that it's not a checkbox thing where we we're looking to hire 300 urms whatever that is but more so we're trying to kind of build relationships in these communities to understand how we can organically attract these people because once you hire a, a minority or a woman to your organization if the culture is inclusive naturally and is a great organization they will actually shepherd other people like them into your organization for you so you don't spend nearly as much on the CPH, right? You you can't, right? And it's, I think that community aspect is something that a lot of people aren't focusing on. And, you know, it's something that we're trying to push as a narrative.
0: Yeah, I yeah. like it. I think that's a really smart strategy just, is to really get involved in the community. But are there any other types of things that fundamentally need to change within companies if they truly want to be great, diverse recruiters?
4: Yeah, I, I think the biggest thing that I saw in, initially is like, a ton of companies especially as they go to recruit other talent they they don't know how to really qualify them so like you know especially because most of it's based off of like a a tier of school so if they go to stanford then it's great like you study computer science great i know how to qualify you i know your kind of rank in this system that, that we play in called hr but if you go to a lesser known school what we noticed was that a ton of recruiters didn't know how to qualify those students like So at Howard University, they don't know the number one major, so they don't know if they're talking to the top of the class or not, right? They don't know how to qualify the student. So we need to actually dig deeper to do research on certain organizations. And at Hollow, this is something that we built into our platform where we qualify those students for you. We actually rank students in their majors across the US to show the recruiters like, this student's actually top of their class at this university you might not have heard of or visited yet, but they're top top of the class. And if you hire him or her from this organization, it's very likely you'll understand the ROI of doing business with this university, but also the ROI of diversity and inclusion at scale um, when they help you recruit. So it's a lot of qualification there.
0: And so I, I don't want to share your trade secret, but like, what are the factors you use to rank students? But beyond the GPA,
4: right, right. So one, it's tons of math. The trade secret is, is tons of math. But um, I, I think one thing we look at is, is outside of skill set and and like the GPA also like where, where do they fall in a category of like their, since we built the application, we can actually measure how kind of hungry a student is to gather this information. What we noticed with students who go to kind of like the lesser known schools internally, we we're like, wow, these, these girls and guys are like, they're, they're hustlers. Like they, they really want to, to, to understand the ins and outs of getting a job at certain companies. And we can actually rank people on like how, active they are like how much they really want to gather this information and what allows us to do is build this like weighted score meaning maybe you your major at your university isn't like the number one ranked major at that university but your thirst for knowledge especially as it applies to our platform and other platforms we can show your kind of grit score like wow this this student really wants to work here right and i think that's a that's a big thing we see as students from the the kind of schools that aren't well known is they are insane learners and they want to move really quickly on how they make decisions and move forward. So
1: that's interesting, Vern. I actually went to a lesser known school. I went to a small school in Southern Indiana, the University of Evansville. And I have always thought that, and especially since I've seen my own kids Mm -hmm. go through college at big, well-known public universities where companies come to them. And I think, wow, I wish I had that. Like I, Although we had some companies come to us, the majority of my friends, some people I went to college with, we had to seek companies out. and it is a totally different experience
4: yeah, and it's it's different and it, it kind of makes you work harder, but also become like this master, not a hacker, but like very intentional with how you do things and figuring out ways to maneuver around to get those careers at certain companies that kind of don't interact with your university today.
1: right what do you think is one thing that hr departments or recruiters could implement today to ensure diversity is happening in their recruiting practices
4: i think a big thing you know covid has had like a massive impact on on everyone in a negative aspect for sure but i think one of the biggest things that it it is like dropping barriers in a system to allow us to have these digital communities and digital communications i think it's an an insanely great time for companies and recruiters to build relationships with these communities, as I said, online. Because uh, I think a big thing about HR that no one kind of mentions is like, money spent needs to see ROI, especially when you're talking to CHROs. And I think the digital space is allowing recruiters to scale their efforts naturally, but also understand how they can increase their reach to build efforts in diverse communities. And I mean, there's no better time to do it than now in my
0: standpoint. So, Fern, why don't you share, if you would, the life experiences that led you to forming Hello, which is really this diversity recruiting platform we've been talking about.
4: Yeah, I think the biggest thing for me is I just noticed that there was like a gap in the market where like uh, a a ton of people weren't gathering the access. It's not like they didn't have the talent or the necessary skills to actually move forward. It was just the how-to. They couldn't actually get a foot in the door. And, And I saw a ton of other platforms out there for sure, but none that really focused on the education of certain students to like make them move forward quickly. Um, and then in my own personal experience, I think most of the jobs that I've ever gotten, I was either quote unquote from looking at the job posting unqualified for, but I applied anyway. And I when I kind of had the opportunity to get in the door and go to the interview, I noticed that the, the hiring manager would see that I had transferable skills from other experiences. And it just goes to the fact that conversation is like, the ultimate equalizer in my opinion and that's why i always focus on building community
1: nice burn with it, within say the next 2 years how, how do you think diversity recruiting will change or maybe should change
4: yeah i think the biggest thing we're going to see in during covid is like the as i said the barriers are going to be broken down i also see this new generation i guess we call it gen zers they they are very interesting and they're in in a They have an interesting mindset i feel like i just turned 31 but like my generation was kind of 50 50 in a sense of like we kind of wanted to do what we wanted to do but we still were just we kind of oh yeah i still need to get a job right um this new generation of gen z if a brand that they're going to even apply to doesn't like match their values in life then they won't work there Mm -hmm. and they'll go work another job until that right job that they really want comes comes into play they're really big on their values and how they're their work aligns with their values at home. And I think that's going to push the message of diversity forward um, in a major way. So.
0: Yeah, I agree. Vern, what is the best way for any of our listeners to contact you if they want to learn more?
4: Yeah. yeah. So I'm, I'm active on Twitter and LinkedIn. So LinkedIn is just Vern Howard, but um, also just check out hollow for sure. We, I interact with just about everyone on the platform, even though we, we, we are over 1200 universities and I still talk to just about everybody. So just h a l l o t h e r e.com.
0: Beautiful. Guys, Fern, thank you so much for joining today.
4: Thank you. Thank you so much and take care guys.
0: All right. All right. Thank, Bye. You. Bye. thank you. Bye. Best. So our next guest is Andrew Darby, Global Head of Talent Acquisition at Axis Capital based in New York City. Prior to Access Capital, Andrew worked at AIG in global executive recruiting. And prior to that, he was the vice president and an executive recruiter at Morgan Chase, which is where I had the pleasure of working with Andrew. He is my all-time, very favorite talent acquisition partner I've ever had a chance to work with. So I am just thrilled that he was able to make it to this podcast. Andrew, welcome.
3: Thank you. Thanks for the lovely introduction.
0: Ah, my pleasure.
3: You're my favorite HR partner as well, if I... <laughs> I'm not just saying that, but that's why we're here today. That's right. A great mentor.
0: Even though we left the organization, we refused to quit each other, which is what I (laughs) like. That's right. (laughs) So as we're talking about diverse recruiting and trying to find diverse candidates, Andrew, how frequently in your career have you had hiring managers say to you, listen, we want to fill this opening. Can you help us find some diverse candidates?
3: Yeah, I, I think it's uh, a topic that's all top of our mind and it's a topic that's top of mind of managers. So I think what we need to do first is recognize that that's a really good thing, that, that uh, managers are, they're aware of diversity, equity, inclusion, uh, and they want it. And, and so I um, Sorry for being long winded, but to answer your question, it's a regular occurrence that we, we get asked. And you, you do have to balance it, right, in terms of saying I want a diverse candidate or what we should be saying is we want a diverse slate of candidates. Because obviously, you know, there are legal things that we have to be aware of that the best best candidate should get the job. But obviously, there should definitely be a diverse candidate on that. Um, and also, you know, when there is there is more than one diverse candidate on, on there what we found is that it's more likely that the diverse candidate will get the job. Right. And so managers, if they just see one diverse candidate, they think that's the candidate I've got to speak to because that's part of the process. But actually when you have a broader and more diverse (laughs) slate, actually the candidates are more prone to get, get those jobs um, in the long run. So for me, it's about providing diverse slates of candidates, but also, providing diverse candidates on those slates I know that sounds silly but kind of more than one is really really important
1: yeah no I think that's a great idea what do you do specifically to be able to find that diverse slate what what have you done that has proven to be effective
3: Uh, you know what I, I found right now we're kind of in the kind of the second phase of diverse recruiting if you will and so I think if you speak to some of my colleagues across other organizations, they will say, we've got to develop diverse pipelines. Uh, we've got to have a diverse person on the interview slate. You know, we've got to post it to diverse websites. And they're really important, obviously, but they're kind of, um, again, for want of a better term, so last year, right? They're, they're the kind of shotgun approaches that, that kind of placitate rather than really make a difference and so the things that that myself and my team and my colleagues have really been focused on, quite frankly, is how do we embolden our employer brand, right? So if you are a diverse candidate, you know, we're not just walking the talk. When you come into our offices, you see the diverse diversity of our organization. Um, or, you, you know, there is a, there's a mentorship program that we offer, et cetera. So um, one of the things that, you know, I and my team have really tried to do is really emphasize what is our diversity statistics. One of the key points to, to our diverse candidates is we talk about our diversity retention as well. And then thirdly, you know, what are the career opportunities for those people based on the fact that that's what we should be doing with all our employees is thinking about career paths rather than just hire for somebody for the job because you know and, and and i know susan we've talked about this before if we were just to hire a diverse candidate and they didn't get a good experience and they left the organization that if you want our reputational risk is way more in trouble if you will than than us trying to to, to really embolden our employer brand so with that um you know that would be the first part i would say the second part is i've tried to build a team of recruiters which don't see themselves as diversity recruiters, right? I, you know, there was a time where people wanted to recruit a diversity recruiter. My opinion should be that everybody, every recruiter should be a diversity recruiter. Um, there could be a space for diversity sources. So I have somebody on my team that really goes out to network with key organizations within our industry, et cetera, to, to really develop those relationships. But but having a diverse team of, of recruiters that see themselves as diverse recruiters, offering them training, and you know I think with any of thing anything like this is we have to assume positive intent with everybody, right? Um, I think that's really important as well.
0: And do you mean that by the hiring managers? Do you mean that by the recruiters, the sourcers? Who who do you think is really important that we help instill that positive, make sure that we assume the innocence?
3: Yeah, I I think part of our role as recruiters is to be consultative and solutions based. I know they're kind of very buzzwords, but for a manager, this could be their first person they've ever hired. Mm, sure. right? And so, you know, they may not know some of the kind of diversity, equity, inclusion kind of programs that we're involved with. They may not know our, we have a commitment that we've, we've given to our board that uh, we have a certain percentage of, of all of our slates are diverse. Etc. So, being able to kind of engage uh, the managers and talk them through what to expect in the process, but also what to expect from a, a diversity, equity, and inclusion perspective as well is really, really important. And, and, and I think they appreciate it, you know. And quite frankly, I'm in an industry in insurance which is very relationship driven. Um, they're very subject matter experts because we're specialty insurance. Everybody really knows each other. Right. And so, what we're trying to say to to managers is, you know, how flexible do you need to be in certain areas? You know, can you recruit for the person sometimes rather than just a skill set? You know, one thing that's always, quite frankly, frustrated me is people said, well, I need 10 years of experience for somebody doing this job. And my my immediate response is, well, if you've got somebody with 15 years experience that haven't done much, but three years experience and they've accomplished so much, they're in a high performer, what would you want? And I think if you can try and um, ingrain that into that kind of initial kickoff meeting, I think it's really supportive of them being able to entertain more diverse candidates from a diverse background and and being able to be more flexible and recruit for the person rather than just the, the job title. I am with you.
0: Yeah, I love it. What a great approach. So, are there any unique challenges that you have found when you're looking for diverse talent?
3: Th- there are. Yeah, I-, I mean, the quite frankly, the availability in certain markets. Uh, I mean, one of the methodologies that we've ta- undertaken, particularly with our more senior staff, is we've tried to map out the market and give um, give them the hiring manager a quick snapshot of what that talent map from a diverse perspective looks like. So for example, a senior level recruit role that I recently was recruiting for, we kind of mapped out our, our top 15 clients and we found that it was only 16% of those target people were diverse. So being able to kind of do this in a data-driven way, I think really helps us as well. And so I think that the challenge for us is again, making sure that people know that we are a, uh, an employer of choice for diverse candidates that they can see the pathway but also again i I think just the general um and and it does come down to perhaps what some people may consider old school recruiting is getting out there and networking with people networking with key constituents networking with key groups Uh, and also something that we've uh, found very helpful is setting up Some networking with um, key obviously universities and alumni centers that we can drive um, networking um, jobs to, to network with them and amplify our message. I mean, access to give, give your listeners an overview is about uh, 2000 people globally. So, you know, it's not a company that most people quite frankly would know off the top of their head. You know, we're a very specialty driven um, insurance company. And so, to be able to compete with some of the companies that uh, that we know, the, the J.P. Morgans, the A.I.G.s, etc., you know, ha- how can we attract those talents so that they know um, that we're a, we're a, uh, an employer of choice for, for for that is really really important.
1: Mm-hmm. And Andrew, when you mentioned that you did a map diversity map, and and your example said that maybe sixteen percent was diverse, what does diverse mean to you does that mean they're not a white male or does it does it age uh, everything
3: you know what that is a that's a terrific question and it can mean something and one of the issues because we are a global company is it could mean something different in UK and Europe compared to the US you know obviously um, as you could probably tell I'm not originally from from New Jersey (laughs) uh, (laughs) but most of my career has been here Um, And probably we would consider here in the U.S., you know, kind of obviously ethnicity, gender. Something that's becoming more apparent is obviously veterans as well, uh, veteran recruitment. do we consider them in certain parts of the world in Singapore? It may be something different. But I think for an industry like ours, you know, gender and ethnicity are obviously the key drivers for us, particularly gender. Quite frankly, you know, in certain parts of our industry, it's very um, male driven and and so there are targets within some of our you know we're obviously um you know part of Lloyds as well and so there are kind of some initiatives being driven from from some of our clients to say you know what what are we do doing to drive some of that recruitment as well so you know that there is there is a spotlight if you like on it and and for good reason and for good reason
0: mm-hmm. nice thank you so our last question for you is what advice would you want to leave with our listeners to help them as they're trying to figure out how to increase the diversity makeup of their leadership, their so- supervisors and their total workforce?
3: I think my first thing would say, be bold and be brave, but don't be scared. You know, I think, again, we, we talked about that that positive intent as, as well. Uh, you know, so my advice to, to, to listeners would say, look above the Yes, we need a pipeline. Yes, we should have somebody of a diverse background, interview candidates, um, you know, et etc. et cetera. Um, I would kind of think above that. Think about put yourself in you, in the shoes of a candidate. What do you want to hear from an organisation that would not only make you take the job, but make you want to stay there four or five years down the road? Um, one of the things that we've done is we've been very lucky. We've got some key diverse Um, senior leaders and we've really used them to amplify our message if you will right Um, there is a a terrific article out there um, which I'll have to share with you Susan from a university of standards in recently in the New York Times and and she talked about you know when diverse candidates get to senior level positions some really embrace it and want to really encourage it there are some that kind of go well I'm part of that group now it's up to other people to follow me and so we really need to do a job of, you know, once we've got these senior leaders into senior, uh, senior diverse leaders into these roles, what can we do to amplify that message and, and help, have them support a kind of a continued pipeline of people, if you will.
0: Oh, that's great. We can put the, a link to that article in our show notes.
3: So thank you. Yeah, Yeah, it was really enlightening. I'll certainly share that. The other thing that we introduced was really kind of a more formalized structured interview guide. Right. And so if you can really increase the quality of your assessment process, you actually find so much more out about the candidates and it will drive more uh, where you thought it it would take some of that unconscious bias out that we all have with 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 candidates um, out of that process. So you can really kind of get a a data driven analytical approach to making the decision process better for you.
0: Great advice. Good. Thank you. Yeah, Andrew, we are so glad you joined us today. Thank you so very much.
3: Absolute pleasure. Thanks very much for for taking the time to speak to me.
0: Yeah, it was great. Jody, usually at this point in an episode, we have a listener question that we receive and that we respond to. Today, we're going to have a co-host question from me. (laughs) After working in HR for decades, I continue to be puzzled when on occasion I meet someone for the first time at an event, a party, a wedding, a gathering, And they ask me what I do. And I say, well, I work in HR. And sometimes a person either groans or they laugh or they respond, oh, man, I avoid HR people or, yikes, I've made a point in my life not to spend any time with HR people at my company. When this happens, I'm always surprised, as I think HR people are some of the nicest, most capable people you're ever going to meet. I wondered how common this reaction to HR is. Jody, do you ever get that kind of a reaction? Oh, yes. I can tell you I have two
1: sisters, actually. So in my own family who always are thinking like, oh, I don't know how you work in HR. Oh, our HR department's not very good. Oh, I had to go to HR today, right? It's like a constant
0: battle. So I know exactly how you feel. Well, we don't want any listener out there who happens to be in the HR profession to get an inferiority complex about this. We think we're good people. So I found some answers in Sherm's summer 2020 edition of HR magazine. They reported that 30% of employees actively avoid going to HR with a problem. And that, oh my gosh, so it's not just you, okay? It's them. Right. <laughs> they're, act- they're actively avoiding us. But here are some of the reasons that this research said as to why these employees actually avoid HR. Jody, let's share those. So 38%
1: of the people said the issue seemed too minor. And I can understand that one, right? And maybe that's healthy. Maybe they can figure it out themselves or talk to their manager or work through it with their team. But I'm not sure about the next few.
0: Yeah. Okay. So 38% said they felt their HR department didn't enforce company policies equally. That really unnerves me. I, I hope that that hasn't happened in that person's particular company. I hope it's a misconception. If it isn't, gosh, we got to clean that up. we got to make sure that all policies are applied equitably, right? But if it isn't, HR, you've got to get the word out there and build rapport and build trust because you don't want people suspicious that you're playing favorites. Right.
1: Well, the next one's even worse, that 35% said they didn't trust HR to help Like, ouch. Yeah. Again, you wonder, did they have a bad experience or is it their perception that maybe HR
0: can't help them? Fair enough. 31% feared retaliation. So Mm -hmm. they were afraid that if they came forward and talked to HR, that maybe something bad would happen to them. That's very scary.
1: Yeah. And then 23% said they had witnessed or experienced a poor HR experience. So... That one could be valid, but maybe they had a poor experience in one company and haven't given the new company a chance.
0: Fair enough. For any of our listeners who are HR professionals or maybe you're a business leader who you oversee HR, we really need to help the 30% of our employees who may be doubters to build confidence in us. So building trust starts with building relationships and then you would the opportunity to demonstrate your value. You know, Jody, I can remember this particular situation early in my career. I was in charge of employee relations at this particular organization and we decided we were going to do an employee activity and bring everybody and their families into a really nice Saturday at the zoo. We happened to be in Indianapolis and so the Indianapolis Zoo was a, just a great venue for any type of activity. Mm-hmm. So, at the time we probably had, I'm going to guess, about 2 to 3,000 employees and I was responsible to figure out with the budget we had, how do we get as many people to come and their family members? So, I was working on like number of tickets per employee, cost, talking to the caterers, figuring all this out. And I remember just a couple weeks prior to the event, I was in our operations center and there was this particular staff member, Sheila, I won't use Sheila's last name. Mm -hmm. And Sheila always tended to be kind of negative. I mean, it really, about whatever, what we were doing, it just, she always thought she was a little cynical, thinking that we were doing it for our good and not hers. So I ran into her. I said, Sheila, I really hope that you're coming to the company picnic at the zoo. It's going to be great. And I'd love you to, you know, think about who in your family can make it, so on and so forth. She said, oh, Susan, you know what, if this company's doing it, they want something out of me. It was just really kind of negative. I said, Sheila, give us a chance. So It so happens that at the zoo, the particular day of the event, I ran into her and she had like 15, 16 of her family members there. I mean, yeah, she said they were family, but I'm thinking they might have been neighbors. I mean, who knows, but I didn't care. I was just so happy she was there. And participating. So the very next week, I went back to the operations center for other work. I made a point to go up to where Sheila worked. Sheila, I was so glad to see you at the picnic. What did you think? And I was really ready for this transformation. She was going to feel good about employee relations. She's going to feel <laughs> good about the organization. She said, you know, Susan, this organization is never going to do anything that nice again. So, oh, I, <laughs> no. No. so I realized that no matter what we did, she wasn't going right. to be crazy about HR, about employee relations, but can't win them all over. So my message to those of you who've got 30% of your population not feeling good about HR, all you really can do is own your behaviors, the rapport and the relationships you're trying to build. You're you're never going to make everybody happy. Exactly.
1: I kept waiting for you to say though, that she like fell into the alligator pit (laughs) or over the fence
0: with the tiger's. So. Oh, I can tell you, alligators and tigers would not have messed with her. No, they would not have. She, she could have taken them on. Well, listen, we would love to hear for any of our listeners, if you've ever tackled a particularly skeptical employee or manager and you want them over, please call or text us or tweet us and tell us the story because we would love to share that because I think some of us in the HR profession when we're dealing with people who just for whatever reason don't care for us or our function we'd love to hear how you won people over might help the rest of us
1: bring them on
0: all right so it's time for in the news Broadband News out of the UK did a study recently on the 10 best cities in the world to work remotely in. Given the fact that as we're recording this, we're in the midst of a worldwide pandemic, I think that it's important for us to think about this working remotely, which is growing so dramatically, is a lot of it we think is gonna continue into the future. So in this study, they looked at 50 large cities across the globe and gave each a remote working index based on a number of factors. Those factors were the average internet speed in that city. When you're working remotely, it's really important. You've got top-notch internet speed, right? Right. Secondly, the number of work-from-home jobs believed to be in that city. Number three, the average cost of a laptop in that city. Isn't that interesting? Number four, the city's cost of living. And then this one cracks me up, but I think it's important. Uh, The last one, the availability of food delivery. So I guess if you're working from home, you're going to be home. You, yeah. Right. You got to feed like the machine. It. So let's just share the top 10, Jodi, because I think that's interesting for any of us who are thinking, gosh, if I'm going to work remotely, do I need to stay in whatever city you're in? So right. why don't you start us off? Number one, Bucharest. Okay, who would have thought? I know. Number two, Houston, Texas. That's, that would be kind of a fun place to live. hmm
1: Number three, Las Vegas.
0: Jody, you know what I'd be doing in my off hours. <laughs> I love gambling listeners. Number four is Atlanta. Number five is Budapest. I know that's one of the places you want to visit someday, Jody. It is. Yeah. Number six, San Francisco.
1: Gosh, it seems like that would be so expensive. But yeah. number seven, Los Angeles. And number eight is Kiev. Hmm. Number nine, right here in the Midwest, Chicago.
0: And number 10 is Warsaw Poland. Found that very interesting. Mm-hmm. All right, well thank you so much everyone for joining. I hope you have a joy powered day. If you would like Sherm Recertification Credit for listening to this podcast, please visit getjoypowered.com slash Sherm. You'll find an evaluation of the podcast and once you complete the evaluation, you will see the Sherm Recertification Credit Code and a link to a proof of participation certificate. Again, that's getjoypowered.com Thank you for listening, and thanks for your dedication to the HR profession.
1: Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the Joy-Powered Workspace podcast. If you like the show, please tell your friends about it, and let us know what you think of our podcast by rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. It helps new people find our show. The Joy-Powered Workspace podcast can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts.
0: You can learn more about Joy Powered and find our books and blogs at getjoypowered.com. We're at Joy Powered on Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, and Twitter. Sign up for our monthly email newsletter at getjoypowered.com newsletter. If
1: you have comments, suggestions, or questions about anything related to business or HR, you can leave us a voicemail at 317 688 1613 or email us at joypowered at gmail.com. We hope you tune in next time. Make it a joy powered day.